you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. Turn to Psalm 32 if you have a Bible. And if you don't, don't worry, there'll be the scripture will be on the on the screen uh, for you to follow along as we go go through this. We're drawing near to God's forgiveness uh, this morning. Uh, already sung about the rich richness of that. So um, love uh, love that worship thing. Thank you for helping us out this morning. Um, you know, we live in a culture that um, pretty often comes around that we get to give gifts. So you got Christmas, you got birthdays, uh, anniversaries, weddings, um, buying your first house, uh, retirement parties. Uh, we just celebrated Mother's Day. I uh, I gave my mom a a, a home baked. I baked a, a red velvet cake from scratch. So there, were, there was a little bit of risk in doing that, but it turned out okay. So uh, I hope you celebrated your mom last week and made her her feel. Special, but we got all these occasions to give gifts, something meaningful, something thoughtful, something useful, helpful, um, something that says, I love you, you're special. Um, so, you know, we're, it's, it's part, part of our lives. But some people, you know, they're really good at giving gifts, and other people were not born with that gene. So, you know, it's a struggle for, for some of us. Uh, but you can go online, you can find all kinds of advice on how to give a good gift. You know, you, you, you can find things like, you know, listen for what someone's interested in or what they're complaining about. Um, don't, don't give somebody what you think they need, but give somebody what they, what they want. Um, if, if, they don't, if you don't know what they want, it's, it's okay to ask. And if you just run into a dead end with all of that, then go for the gift card. You know, that, that usually is, is a, safe, a safe bet. So in Psalm 32, we're going to hear about the greatest gift that has ever been given, and that is uh, forgiveness. Uh, the impact of forgiveness on your life cannot be overstated. I mean, it is, it is an impact on your heart, on your future, um, on, on your life here. It's life-changing, it's heart-mending, it's, it's relationship-healing, all of, all of those things. And David, he wrote, he wrote this psalm, and his focus is on vertical forgiveness, uh, the forgiveness between us, uh, us and God. And so when that comes into your life, things get right this way. And when things get right this way, things start getting a lot better this way with, with everybody else. And so let's draw near to God this morning, the greatest gift giver who's ever given anything without online advice. And um, let's see if we can get our hearts uh, to the place where David is in this psalm this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we're thankful to have this time together, even though we're not together. Um, and we're waiting for that day to come. It's coming. It's move, moving closer. And we're looking forward to that, Lord. So help us to bear the fruit of patience in our lives as we wait for that day. 
Um, I, I think of all these graduates that have missed a, a, a getting together a graduation ceremony and what that means in their life, the accomplishment. And we, we so, Lord, wish we could have them here and bring them up and, and applaud them for their accomplishment. Um, but, Lord, we are praying for the applause of heaven to be over them this morning, that you would bless them, that you would bless their steps for the future, that you'd guide them, whether they're getting married, getting jobs, or all of the above. Uh, Lord, just guide them in their steps um, that they're coming so fast. Lots of change. Also, much grace for mom and dad as life change is happening for them too. Um, And Lord, here we're praying as we go through this psalm, we're praying for life change. We're praying your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to this wonderful gift of forgiveness with you. Um, That we could open that gift, some maybe for the first time, some need to reopen it and just rejoice in it again. So Lord, we trust and lean into you for all of that, um, that your Holy Spirit is working in us. I pray the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 32, as we look into this uh, psalm, the first two verses there, David is describing what it's like to, to have, have this gift in your life. And what he describes is really a recipe for joy. So let's read verses 1 and 2. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Oh, what joy. He says it twice there in those sentences. Oh, what joy. You mix these things together in your life, and you're going to get something better than a red velvet cake made from scratch. You get joy. What's the recipe? Your disobedience is forgiven. Your sin is put out of sight. Your record is cleared of wrongdoing by God. And you can live a life that is lived in complete honesty. So let's look at those. David's talking about disobedience to God's law. Now God's law being summarized with the, with the Ten Commandments. Don't worship other gods. Don't make graven images. Don't take God's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath for rest. Respect your family. Don't ever kill. Be faithful to your spouse. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't wish for others' things. Thankful to a children's song that I can go through those uh, like that. Uh, But Jesus, he took the Ten Commandments and he summed them up into just two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. He said this sums up the law and the prophets. So this is how God wants us to live. And you know, there isn't one of us this morning who's listening who could say that we have lived up to that law, that we've ever done that in in a single day of our lives, that we've even done that this morning. We've disobeyed already. Now, there's some in this world who have never even heard the Ten Commandments. They've never heard Jesus' name. They don't know what God wants them to do. But you know what? He created us and he created all of us with a a moral compass. It's called the conscience. And so inside of every person, there's this little voice that speaks to us and tells us what's right and what's wrong. And all of us have it. And sometimes it doesn't work like it should. You know, we're fallen creatures. We fell back in the garden. Our conscience is part of that, so it has fallen too. So sometimes our conscience is kind of desensitized to evil. 
And so we, we, uh, we aren't as sensitive as we should be to, to things that are right and wrong. And sometimes it's, it's too sensitive. And so we're, we're always seeing things that are, are right, uh, or right or, or wrong. And so those things are extremes, and there's all varying degrees of that. But everybody's got the conscience. And when we do something that is against our conscience, then that's a sin before God. When we do something that God has said don't do, that is disobedience to him. When we don't do something God said to do, that is also disobedience. And so that's what we do. Well, David says, when that disobedience is forgiven in our lives, there's joy. There's joy. Depending on what that disobedience might be, your conscience may or may not let you let it go. You know, so you do something and then you're overwhelmed with with guilt and sorrow over it. And your life becomes all about what you did wrong. And you cannot... You cannot see anything but your sin. It's always there before you. You can't get rid of it. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how hard you try to make up for what you did. It's always there, right there in your face. It's there when you wake up in the morning. It's there when you go to work or go to school. It's there when you go to bed at night. That sin is always before you. David says, forgiveness puts sin out of your sight. It's it's taken away. The Bible says God takes our sin and he puts it away from us as far as the east is from the west. We cannot see it anymore. And when that happens in your life, there is joy. Forgiveness, is not only put, uh, forgiveness not only puts sin out of our sight, but it also puts it out of God's sight. David says God's, God clears your record of wrongs. God does. So... The sovereign God, the one who is all wise, all seeing, can see everything outside of space and time. He takes your sin out of his sight. He wipes away your record of wrongs. And so that means that when we come before him uh, to give an account of our lives, of how we lived our lives, there will not be any wrongs on your record that he'll point to. Because Jesus has done something to wipe them away. God doesn't see them anymore because you've been forgiven of them. And then when those things happen, then then the life that we get to live is a life of integrity, uh, of of complete honesty. Um, we're, We're the same inside as we are on the outside. There's nothing to hide, no hypocrisy. We're not trying to keep up appearances anymore. We're not worrying about being found out. We're not afraid of punishment anymore or consequences. We When you mix all of these things together... It is a recipe for joy in your life. And it's a special kind of joy. It's a joy that will make you smile from ear to ear. It's a joy that will make you cry tears of joy. It will make you laugh from your belly. It will make you jump up and down, jump for joy. It might even make you dance a little bit. I mean, it's that kind of joy. Have you ever had that kind of joy in, in your life? Have you ever seen this recipe, mixed it up in your life, and out came joy. Well, if you haven't, it it could be that you're thinking too small. And there's things that we think too small about that get in the way of of us experiencing this joy. The first thing is you might be thinking too small about your sin. You know, um, you might be thinking that there's such a thing as insignificant sin. You know, things that we do that nobody really knows about or think 
uh, things that don't really hurt anybody. You know, we would say they're, they're, they're small sins. But Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And it doesn't talk about little sins and big sins. All sin, the wages of sin, is death. You see, it's not the size of our sin that determines how bad it is. It is the size of our God. And he is holy. And he is other. And he is righteous. He is beyond our comprehension. And any little disobedience to his law is a big disobedience. Not because of this scale that he has, but because of who he is. So you might be thinking too small about your sin. You also might be thinking too small about the punishment that you've been saved from. You know, hell is real. Just like heaven is real, hell is real. And eternity is a really long time. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 to 9, it says this. Jesus will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who do not know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. So when you have been forgiven, You are saved from that punishment. (laughs) You have been rescued from eternal destruction. And that ought to make you a little happy when you think about it. But we think too small about our punishment. We also might not know this joy because we think too small about God's love. You know, God does not love like we do. His love doesn't come and go. His love doesn't have anything to do with feelings. His love, it doesn't depend on our actions. Romans 5, 8 says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and this is how God demonstrated his love for us. So it doesn't depend on us. God loves us. And he's wanting all people to come to a saving knowledge of the truth. The truth that his son was sent to this world. His perfect, holy, righteous son. Put on our skin and lived our life except never sinned in thought, word, or deed. And then gave himself over to sinful man when the time was right and he was crucified on a cross. Shed his blood, his perfect blood, so that our sins could be forgiven. Then he was put in a grave. And three days later, he rose from the grave and he defeated death. And so then anyone who looks to him, believes in who he is and what he did, has forgiveness of sin and has hope for life everlasting with God. And so God is is waiting. He is not slow in keeping his promise. He's waiting. He's showing patience. He's showing love with the world because people need to know him. And that's what he's waiting on. Now, many people ask, Well, how could a loving God who loves like that send people to hell for for eternal destruction with no way out? But really, that is the wrong question uh, to be asking because that's a man-centered question. We we need to think about it in terms of God and and make it a God-centered question. Um, The truth is all people (laughs) have been born rebellious against God. Every one of us. 
Our, our sin shows up so early in our life, showing what's going on inside of us. And so really, we're shaking our fist at the God who created us, saying, I don't really want you, I don't want to follow you, and we sin against him. And so the question really is, why would any of us, why would he want any of us in heaven with him? Why did he show me mercy? Why is mercy available to anyone? That is the right question uh, to be asking. So you might not know this joy because you're thinking too small about what forgiveness cost. If you've ever forgiven anybody in your life, you know that forgiveness isn't free. It costs you something to be able to, to forgive someone else, to let someone go. Um, so God, he doesn't just overlook our sin and say, I, you know, it's okay, Greg, we know you're a mess. You're, you know, I know you can't do it right. Just go on about your way, it's all right. He can't do that. He is perfect, holy, righteous, and just. He's, he's the perfect judge. Uh, any judge that would do that would not be a, a good judge. <clears throat> Romans 8.32 says that God didn't even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So the cost of this forgiveness was the life of his, of his son, Jesus. His justice was satisfied by the shedding of his son's blood, his innocent blood, so that we, guilty sinners, could be clean, that we could be forgiven. That was the price that was paid. So I want to encourage you this morning to think big about these things. Think big about all of this in your life. You cannot overdo it. Think big about your sin. Think big about that eternal punishment. Think big about God's love for you. Think big about the price that was paid for your life. The bigger you think, the greater your joy will be over this gift. So today, is today the day you need to open the gift of forgiveness that God is giving us? Is today the day? Is today the day that you should, you know, look at the video of you open it the first time? <laughs> or... Or really reopen it. Mix the ingredients up again in your life. And let joy well up on the inside of you. And this forgiveness is a gift. You know, we've received it sometime in our life. Maybe it seems less important than when we first opened it. Let me encourage you. Make the recipe again today. Look at all these things that God has given us. Not because we deserved them. Because He Loved us. Think big about it. It'll be good for your soul. And I would imagine might even have you doing a little dance of joy in the kitchen today. Now, when you first look at these uh, ingredients, when you, look, when you look at them and the results of having them in your life, the description of what it's like to have this in your life, you've got to be thinking, why would anybody not receive, not take this gift? Well, it's because there is a fight going on, and it's a fight you have to lose in order to win. And in verses 3 to 6, uh, there's a description of a fight that is worth losing. So let's, let's read this, verses 3 to 6. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy upon me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, 
Let all the godly pray to you while there is still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. So those verses begin with, uh, the, the, they start with the fight. He says, when I refused to confess my sin. So that's the reason right there, why people don't receive this forgiveness from God. They never go before him, and they never just kind of lay it all out there. And say, God, this is who I am. This is what I've done. They won't do that. They won't confess their sins before God. David describes what life is like when you're in that fight. He says, my body wasted away. Uh, I groaned all day long. God's hand of discipline was heavy upon me. My strength evaporated like water on a hot summer day. Nothing fun about being in that fight. Why, why do people keep fighting that fight? Well, there's some, there's some reasons. Fear is one of those reasons. You know, they're afraid. They're afraid of what it will mean to admit that they've done wrong. They're, they're afraid that, of the punishment that they'll get if they confess it. They're, they're afraid of what people will think of them. They're afraid uh, that God would reject them. And so they keep fighting because of their fear. And then guilt comes along and it just adds to all of that fear. Shame is another reason. It's a big reason. Shame causes us to want to run and hide in the dark. I mean, it's just like you go back to the Garden of Eden and you look at Adam. You know, and, and, and uh, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they, they went and hid in the bushes when they heard God walking in the garden. And he had to come and look for Adam. And when the light comes into our life, when we're trying to hide in the dark, when shame has us hiding and, you know, keeping everybody from, from who we really are, um, when the light comes and starts to shine on us, we get angry. And we start to defend ourselves. You know, we try to get back in to the dark. We don't want the truth to come out about what, who we really are. You can see that in Adam. When God found him, he said, hey, Adam, what's going on? Adam's like, hey, uh, that woman you gave me, you know, she's the one that caused me you know, to, to eat the fruit and disobey you. And so that was his, his defense mechanism. Um, that was his shame talking. And that's what, what shame does. It keeps us in the dark. We also keep fighting this fight because um, our sin looks better to us than our Savior. So we'd rather have whatever pleasure it is we're getting from the sin than whatever pleasure there might be with Jesus in our life. And so we might be habitually overeating and, you know, over time, um, it impacts our bodies in a negative way, and you know we have health problems. We might we might hoard money, and it causes us to grow hard and have less compassion, or no compassion for people that are in need. Um, we spend beyond our limits, and our debt just keeps mounting, and then it comes out when we go bust. Um, we we consume pornography, and it, it causes us to have a loveless. Marriage, no intimacy with our spouse, and, and then a divorce happens. Sin takes a huge toll on our lives. It promises pleasure, but it produces pain. The wages of sin is death. But we will keep fighting God over it because we, it looks better to us than life with, with our Savior. And so verse 5, it, it kind of provides the answer um, for what to do, and that is to lay down your boxing gloves. 
You know, come out of hiding, confess all of your sins, risk coming before the Lord. You know, naked God, here I am. This is me. I'm a sinner. You speak the words of surrender like David did to himself. I would confess all of my rebellion. I will confess it all. So in other words, I'm going to lose the fight. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to put myself at God's mercy. Have you ever been there before? You ever just said, I, I can't fight this fight anymore. My body is wasting away. I'm groaning all day long. It's misery. You ever just said, God, I can't fight anymore. I need you in my life. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. David tells you what happens when you do that. With an exclamation point. He says, and you forgave me. (laughs) All my guilt is gone. Everything I've ever done has been washed away. You know, it's, it's just like that toy that... A lot of us grew up with. Uh, I probably should have put a picture of this toy on on the screen for you to see because you won't know what an Etch-A-Sketch is, most of you. I think my kids had something called a Magna Doodle that had a little pen that they could draw. But an Etch-A-Sketch was this rectangular piece of plastic uh, filled with some aluminum dust with a a glass screen on it. And it had these two knobs that you could use to draw pictures with an invisible pen. So one knob made the pen go, you know, horizontal. The other made it go um, vertical. And so when you work these knobs, you, you, you could draw stuff. But the thing is, it was impossible to draw anything good. I mean, it's, it's just impossible. You, you, you couldn't do it. You couldn't draw a stick figure good. But it didn't matter. Because all you had to do was take the Etch-A-Sketch, turn it upside down, and shake it like this. And when you flipped it back over, your crummy picture was gone and you had this clean, blank canvas to try something different. That's kind of how forgiveness goes in our life. We are all trying to draw this picture of a great life, of a beautiful life, of a perfect life. We're all trying to do that. But just like the Etch-A-Sketch, it is impossible for us to draw that picture. It's impossible to make something that's perfect and beautiful. And a lot of what we have drawn in our lives, if we look back, we can see some crummy mistakes. We can see that, you know what, we don't want to show anybody this life. And our tendency is just to hide it away. I don't want anybody to see that I can't do this life. I can't do it. Well, confession is like taking that crummy picture of life and handing it over to Jesus. And, you know, when we do that, we kind of think, oh, man, here it comes. (laughs) I don't know if he's going to laugh at me. If he's going to shame me. He's like, you're really awful at that. I don't know if he's going to punish me. But what he does is he takes that picture of life, turns it upside down, and he shakes it. And he flips it back over and he hands it back. And he says, now you got this whole new blank canvas to start, to start something new. That's, that's what he does. Forgiveness is found when we get honest with God about our life. We surrender the etch-a-sketch of who we really are, what we've drawn to Christ. And we say, here it is. And because of what he has gone through, because of the shaking that his life went through, 
He's the only one who can do something about your life and the, and the change that needs to happen, the forgiveness that needs to come, that touches you on the inside, that makes things different. Verse 6 begins with the words, with the word, therefore. So because of what I just said, now do this. So because Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins, then, verse 6, pray to God, all you who are godly, while there is still time. Confess your sins before him. Let him give you a brand new canvas to start writing writing or drawing on. Something um, that will be new and fresh. And do that while there is still time. Uh, Reminding us there is a day when Jesus is going to show back up. That day when everything gets made new. So we have been given this day. I mean the time is still going. Uh, We've got today, this gift from God. And so the question is, am I fighting this fight this morning? Do I need to to give up? Do I need to lose this fight with God and confess this life that I'm living? Just lay it before him and be at his mercy. I promise you, it does not matter what that picture looks like. It does not matter who you are. It does not matter where you have been. It doesn't matter what you've said or done or who you've hurt. It does not matter if you lay down your boxing gloves today, if you would stop this fight and surrender your life to Jesus Christ. He will forgive you. He will make you new. Not because you deserve it, but because of the cross and his work. You know, he said on the cross right before he died, it is finished. The work has been done. There is no need to keep fighting. You can have the gift of forgiveness by turning to him and trusting him. And he will love you. So I I encourage you, don't go on another day fighting God. Turn to him, confess it all, trust Jesus has done the work, and start living your life with him. Now that's what the rest of the psalm describes. It is a life in fellowship with God. Verses 7 to 11. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit or bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All you who obey him, shout for joy. All you whose hearts are pure. So when you're not fighting God anymore and you're living honestly before him, he becomes your hiding place. You're in fellowship with him. You're no longer going over here and hiding in the dark because of something you've done. You're actually hiding in him, allowing him to protect you, allowing his voice to speak into your ear to say, no, you're no longer like that. You're really a child of mine. You're no longer a sinner. Now you are a saint. And he he sings songs of victory in your ear. No long, a life in fellowship with, with, with God is a life of following him, not fighting him. He says there, I will be your teacher. I will be your leader, your guide. He's walking out in front of us and we're following him instead of us, in, uh, us out in front of him. You know, we have, this, we have this dog named Watson. 
And he's an English Springer Spaniel, really excited to see people, really a lot of energy. And when we take him to the park on a leash, um, he really wants to be out front, and he really is tugging on the leash, you know, trying to go this way and that. And we're always pulling him back. And when, when he has the collar on, I mean, he's pulling so hard, he's choking himself. But when we pull him around behind us and we make him walk behind us, he has no problem. He just follows along, looking around. And we learned that trick from the dog whisperer guy. I think his name is Caesar, I think. <laughs> well, God says in verse 9, don't be like a senseless animal that needs a bridle, you know, that has to be controlled from behind. And then he says, he says follow me in fellowship. And then David reminds us there's many sorrows that come to the life of the wicked. But God's love surrounds those who trust in him. So life in fellowship is a life of trust and obey. So even though we like to be out in front of our lives, we aren't made for that. We were made for fellowship with God. Hiding in him, trusting him, following him, and all that leads to rejoicing in him. Now, Thane's going to come back and he's going to lead us in another song. Um, that's going to lead us to the altar where we can draw near to God. And while he's coming, I want to share with you about the Kim family. Uh, so the Kim family, they, they went to a church that celebrated Ash Wednesday every year. And uh, one year they decided that they wanted their whole family to go uh, to this service together. And so um, during the service everybody had an opportunity to come to a confession station where they would write their sin on a piece of paper and fold it up and then pin it on a cross as a reminder of Christ's forgiveness. And so uh, the Kims are are there together and and they come to the confession station and they have a six-year-old little boy and they explain to him what they're doing. And so he sees them all take a piece of paper and they start writing. And so he does the same thing. And so he grabs a piece of paper and in six-year-old big block clear handwriting, he writes out his sin, God, I'm sorry because I lie. But then he did something that nobody else did. He wrote his name on the piece of paper. And then he took it and he pinned it to the cross without folding it up. And so that when they went and sat down, his parents said, why did you put your name on there? Don't, don't you want to fold it up so no one can see that that was you? And the six-year-old little boy said, no, I want people to know it's me because if they see what I, what I do, maybe somebody will help me stop. Well, listen, we're not going to get a piece of paper out and write our sins down and let everybody in the room read what, uh, what our sins are this morning. But I'm not going to ask you to do that. But I am going to ask you to come before God like a six-year-old little boy, uh, believing in who he is and his love for you, believing And what Jesus has done on the cross, that that was for you, that your sins would be forgiven. Trusting that God wants to lead you into a beautiful life and draw a beautiful picture. And he can take that old life and throw it out and give you a brand new one. I understand you won't do it perfect. But his forgiveness is for a lifetime. It's never going to go away. We just do the same thing. We come before him. Say, God, here I am. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. And his love always comes in and washes everything clean. So let's let Thane lead us to the altar and then we'll draw near to God for that forgiveness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Wherever you are right now, 
That's your altar. Place to bow down. Place to lay it all before the Lord. Lay down the gloves. Stop the fight. Bring your shame out into the light. Say, Lord, here I am. This is the real me. What David says is true. Are you able to do that? God forgives. We turn our eyes from ourselves and our life and the mess we've made and the sins we commit. We turn our eyes from that and turn them on to Jesus. The beautiful one. The perfect one. The Lamb of God who died. Bought our forgiveness with His blood. We turn our eyes upon him. And he lifts our head. This is you are forgiven. He picks us up off of our knees. And he says, Come on with me. I want to show you a different life. I want to show you how to worship, how to love, how to point people to me. I'll be back soon. But there's still time. Time to walk in the newness of life. Time to walk in this forgiveness. So trust me and obey me. See what your life will become. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice for us. Thank you for your love and for your mercy, for this gift of forgiveness and life with you. We are yours, our life is in your hands. Lead us. Lead us onward into this world to shine your light, to give God glory for what he's done for us, to be your servants until we see your face again. We love you today, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and ask these things. And all God's people said, Amen.